0: That's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is heard, than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. That is a
1: great passage of scripture. I, there's so much to like in there, so many verses to memorize. And then you get a nice thing like, if we're out of our minds, it's for God, it's for Christ. Amen. Uh, The cross, why did Jesus die? First, can you do me a favor, Amanda, and put up the picture that we've been using as background this morning, just before we get to the, I just want to brag about this a little bit. Um, James Kopp took that picture. It's astounding, that photo, isn't it? There's a bee, too. Um, Worship, you know, they're not just backgrounds. Sometimes if they're stock photos, they can be kind of dead. But when you see something like this, and particularly if you know that someone from our congregation took the photo, you're reminded of something like the whole earth is full of his glory. There's such beauty and motion and tenderness and life in that. So uh, we are blessed. Thanks, Amanda. So this series we've had, The Cross... Why did Jesus die as we're in the Lenten season, moving towards Good Friday and Easter? Why did Jesus die and what does it matter? Pardon for sin, that he took on the sin of the world, including ours, yours and mine. We've been singing about that this morning. Lost and found that God has come this long way, Jesus into a far country, his incarnation. Uh, Considering equality with God, not something to be grasped but taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We've acknowledged the reality of the powers in this world, that there are places and times where we could use words like captivity, evil. We have said that Jesus Christ has defeated the powers. We've identified that there are two major motifs in understanding the cross and what God has done for us. When we think of sin and salvation, you can think of wrongdoing. Your wrongdoing, mine, the wrongdoing of this whole world. And that in the cross we are experiencing atonement in Jesus Christ, that he has taken our place. But the second major motif is is that of victory. So you have atonement and Jesus victor, that Jesus defeats the powers of this world, the powers of evil. The powers that take life instead of give life. If there is anything that sums all of this up, that brings it together, it's what we're considering this morning. So next week is Palm Sunday. So next week we kind of, things accelerate. They condense in time in the Gospels. You have this long kind of time that is being described. And then a huge portion of the Gospels, fully one-third of the Gospels, focuses on the last week in the life of Jesus Christ before the crucifixion. And that last week begins with the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, which we'll observe next week. So we sum it all up in some ways today. If there's one aspect that encompasses the whole, it's what we're talking about today. You could say restoration, a better word for it, even better than restoration, is reconciliation. And as Richard read for us from 2 Corinthians Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in this world, from your Christian faith, you have a vocation and a ministry in this world, and that is a hopeful ministry of reconciliation. This is the big news of the cross. And when you look at the cross and you see the symbols we have of the Lenten season in front of the cross, when you look at the cross, it should come into your mind. Reconciliation. God bringing us to Himself in Christ. Jesus, next week, is in our observation, will enter the city riding on a donkey and those screaming crowds, screaming praise. What they thought they were getting was in a sense for many earthly victory defeat of those political powers and others that were holding them down but soon jesus christ though he was receiving this praise at the time would be utterly alone and some of those people would be terribly disappointed they thought that the fix that jesus christ was bringing well it was something different clearly as he finds himself abandoned and heading to the cross But he was fixing the hurts and the ache of the world. And we would say to ourselves this morning as we listen, including our hurts and our ache, our brokenness. And the declaration in the cross is that he was repairing broken relationship. Humanity with God, God and people, and person to person. So if there's any sense in you of broken relationship, whether this is a relationship in terms of the transcendent, humanity with God, or broken relationship in your own lives, one with another, the cross declares reconciliation. We have these barely consequential delusions that we can live with. That picture that you can't see that well, it's actually an ad for Spring Forward, the time change. That was last Sunday. Um, Uh, Jen thinks that's one of the worst days of the year, because you lose an hour, like you set your clocks an hour. But this woman here, if you can see her, she thinks that time change is the most wonderful thing. She's in her spring dress, in the field, welcoming, setting the clocks ahead. But I received notification from a friend last week, this would be last Sunday, because that was the time change, right? And I was like a Facebook post or something, and it said, I can't believe I did that. It's embarrassing when you're supposed to be somewhere at 10 a.m. and you show up at noon. What she had done is she had set her clock back an hour (laughs) instead of forward an hour. And you could live with that delusion, but it's broken rather quickly. The delusions that we live by that are much bigger than that and more consequential, the first, and what I'm presenting this morning as the biggest, that presents our need for reconciliation. The central delusion of human life is that freedom means self sufficiency. Independence. The delusion is that this is a virtue. That if I don't need anybody, and if I don't need God, then that is somehow good. It's the famous poem I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Spoken as virtuous, as something to aim towards rather than away from. We romanticize the lone figure, no strings or bounds or obligations. Because this is a delusion, but it's valued. And what it has produced, this delusion, is a longing. A longing for relationship and a longing for restored relationship. With other people, and we would say in our Christian faith, a deep human longing for restored relationship with God. It's overstating it, and I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining, but you can picture this, you can look through the world, and if you wanted to hold this with you, particularly in terms of relationships, you could say everything seems to be broken. There just seem to be strings of broken relationships everywhere. We could ask one another if we find it curious that we struggle to get along with the people, even those who are closest to us. And sometimes within our own families, we have broken relationships. People can carry these things for years or strains in relationships that are terribly difficult. Even in a room like this, I could go through it, and don't worry, I won't. Because obviously, if, I'm, if someone's pastor long enough, you, you know some of these I mention it only because we can consider this for one another in how we love one another. Even in a room like this, you could go through and point to broken and strained relationships. The sense that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And this is, many people here, Christian people, supposedly loving, self-sacrificial, but so much brokenness and scarring, and only if, if only this could be different. And that estrangement is anywhere, is everywhere. I was talking to a friend the other day. This is an older gentleman, not part of this church, have to say that. And in about four minutes of talking, he must have taken about 20 shots at various people and groups of people. He's funny, he's engaging, I love this guy. But just moment after moment after moment is a declaration of kind of what's wrong with other people. I also happen to know this man that he carries deep, deep broken relationship even in his own family. He was doing some baking to take to a meeting he was going to. I thought it was a wonderful way to end the conversation. I've got to take this baking out of the oven to go and go to this meeting. Paul Simon, that whenever I think of this estrangement, I think of... Uh, this song, it comes into my head. It, it's not one of Paul Simon's most famous songs. It's not like Bridge Over Troubled Water or something, but he is a beautiful, brilliant writer. Uh, and this song I've mentioned in church before, but this song is called Rewrite. And you have to... The metaphor is a man who, who is working on a novel. And he's working on the novel late into the hours each night. In other words, he's thinking about how he would change his life and he can't sleep. But the metaphor is, I'm staying up to, re- to rewrite this book. Here's the central lyric. He says, I've been working on a rewrite, going to change the ending, going to throw away the title and toss it in the trash. Every minute after midnight, he can't sleep. Every minute after midnight, ah, oh, the time I'm spending is just for working on a rewrite. I'm going to turn it into cash. And then he says, I'll eliminate the pages where the father has a breakdown. And he has to leave his family, though he really meant no harm. I'm going to substitute a car chase and a race across the rooftops where the father saves his children and he holds them in his arms. You see the longing there? You walk amongst it every day, even here, but certainly in the larger community. The cry of the human heart. And someone could look at a man like that and say, well, his troubles are his own. He's left his family. He's done something wrong. But the song skillfully demonstrates his own pain and longing for restoration and reconciliation. This longing is all around, and Christian faith has at its heart the declaration that there is reconciliation person to person and ultimately reconciliation between humanity and God. Reconciling the world. Verse 19 of our text. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we each have a mission, a vocation, a ministry in this world of reconciliation. The text is clear. And so some points to teach on that. Firstly, We ought to know in our faith that reconciliation is at the very heart of God. A way to describe this, and it's theological and conceptual, but we can get this and see at least the the dynamic of it. Reconciliation is at the heart of God. I could describe that to you by saying, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that in themselves, in God himself, there is broken relationship from God, but because of human sin... There is brokenness. Jesus goes to the cross, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is this constant and continual reconciling, restoration, beauty, and it's perfect. Jesus the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, three together as one. A theological way of putting that, undeserved and accomplished. The love of God in Jesus is His coming together with all humanity. Don't lose the emphasis on on the breadth of this. His coming together with all humanity and their coming together with Him. This is not deserved by humanity because of our sin, but has been accomplished by God in His free grace, defying and overcoming the sin of humanity. Reconciliation in Christ is undeserved, but accomplished. Those who know this, who live from this, they're Christians. The second point in terms of reconciliation being at the heart of God. In Jesus Christ, God has created a final and indestructible fellowship between himself and humanity. This is not a question. That's why we have hope. It is final and indestructible because it is based, and now we get to a word that we taught a couple of weeks ago, because it is based on His interposition. He interposed His precious blood. It's not based on your behavior. It's not based on your belief. It's based on His love, goodness, grace, and interposition. That is why it is final and indestructible guaranteed by the cross. This is the heart of God. At the cross, love and judgment, as we sing, come together. Wrath totally enclosed in mercy. And In the language of Galatians chapter 4, you have been brought into the family. You who were far off have been reconciled. So the second dimension of response, the first one, is that we are to be occupied by God. Well, there's... Sorry, there's two dimensions of response, and the first is that we are to be occupied by God. But the point is that we can respond. When we see this reconciliation in Christ, we can respond to that reconciliation. Firstly, by this occupation with God in our hearts, minds, and lives, our action. We become occupied with God when we begin to understand his love and what he's done for us and the world in this reconciliation so now you carry such a tremendous hope out into the world because things aren't terrible because the deepest truth is that God has not abandoned us and so now I become occupied with God I see a picture of beautiful flowers and a bee and I'm occupied with God his tenderness his beauty in this world consider the lilies. Your mind, your life. The God of love here and now. Here now and there later. And we sing together now. And we serve together. And when you see this reconciliation, that occupation with God is gratitude, not religious duty. If you think that anything other than the love of God in Jesus is what is effective in reconciliation, so God reconciles us to him in Christ but if we think that the effective thing that makes that work is our action then we take up self-justifying behaviors religious duty moralism morality is good moralism is not so to describe this you can imagine a parent with two children kind of around the same age year or two apart and they're little and one of those children realizes I can impress my parent But as you kind of watch, you see that their impressing of their parent is to kind of defeat their sibling in some way. I'm going to earn the love of my parent by being really, really good. That's self-justifying acts. And, of course, a loving parent would be able to, to love that child who acts that way, to accept their kind of misguided understanding and correct it while also embracing the other child and demonstrating that love, that it was never about self-justification to start with. It was always about the unconditional love of the parent. John chapter 4, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well who was an outcast among religious people. She was undeserving. Her acts were not good enough to self-justify and her um, community, her own identity. And what Jesus shows her is that She is included. Even his disciples weren't interested in her inclusion. And Jesus shows her that she is included. So we are occupied with God, but secondly, sorry, we are occupied with one another. When you see the love of God as reconciling all humanity, you see the reach of reconciliation. I am not making salvation statements here for those who are nervous. I am talking about what the love of Jesus Christ, how broad it is. The love of God and Jesus Christ brings together God with all humanity and all humanity with God. So it is the bringing together of all humanity with one another. It can't work any other way. If God is reaching out to all of humanity, he is not requiring that we reject parts of humanity. The love of Jesus Christ will overcome all estrangement. The love of God evokes love of neighbor. If you loving God evokes in you the response instead of love to kind of push somebody else away, then you have a misunderstanding of the love of God. This reconciling love evokes love of neighbor. And that's where it finds its dynamic. Christian love is one and the same. Love to God and love to neighbor. It moves in this way. And then you can feel it. Careful now. Good religious people would say, and even in my own study, I can feel it. Careful now. You might make people think that, well, everyone's just in. As I said, I'm not making a salvation statement. I'm trying to talk about the power of the love of Jesus Christ. And we already, we move so quickly to, What's he saying? Who's in, who's out? We focus on the love of Jesus Christ. I've lived much of my Christian life and many, many of those years as a minister in a frame where some people have understood it to be more Christian to portion off the love of God. To say, well, them but not them. Careful. God is judge, you know, Todd. Yes, I know. His judgment is the cross. The implication being that really most are apart. Fear, separation. But if you see the cross, you see that the heart of its message, and we must go there before we get to the salvation questions. The heart of the message of the cross is that it is for all that is in our text. All. It is hopeful. And the Christian knows this and lives from this and accepts this. And instead of the delusion of self-sufficiency, there is this beautiful. I can just describe it to you and how, like, I can pray about this and feel this and feel this when I might be riding my bike or looking at a photo like that or talking to a friend or joking around. And where all of a sudden I'm caught up in the power of the Holy Spirit and I experience this letting go, knowing that in the love of Jesus Christ, all is well. All is well in the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm compelled then to seek to live out this love with other Christians and with my friends who are non-Christians for whom this love exists as well. And I'm so grateful. And the all that I believe that sometimes and maybe it was my misguided interpretation of what people were saying to me. I don't think all the time. But when I believe the all, I believe that all not in spite of the cross. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like, well, this is kind of wishy-washy faith and really, you know, we need to talk about the judgment of God more. I believe the all not in spite of the cross. I believe the all because of the cross. It is not less Christian. We might need to take some ground back on this. It's the power of the cross, the desire of God that none should perish. You don't have to make salvation decisions on this. What I mean is, you don't have to decide who is in and out. You need to ask, what does it mean for me, and how can I help others to respond to this love? what do you have if you're doing that? You have the ministry of reconciliation, as this text says. So can you do this? As we move to communion, our points of response, and the first, so often we send one another off into kind of pragmatic response, do these two things or whatever. The first response in terms of listening to what God is saying to us is always prayer. It's always, Lord God, show me, teach me, reveal to me. Ask God, just do this. You do this now. You stay sitting where you are later. You go to the back and pray with somebody. But ask God, say, Heavenly Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me the reconciling love of Jesus Christ, my Lord? Would you reveal that to me? So that when I'm sitting in a coffee shop, when I'm driving down the street when I'm in amongst these longings of the human heart, that I will be guided by your reconciling love. Pray that. Reveal it to me. If God reveals it to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're listening and that's your desire, you will be changed. I don't have to do that work. Our church doesn't have to do that work. The Holy Spirit does that work as you respond. But secondly... This belief that, yes, it is in Christ that I am reconciled with God and other people. Then, as Christians, now, this shouldn't have to be like a, a novel thing, but often in religious groups and in the world where we're convinced that other groups are wrong, or if only people were like us, then the world would be okay, whatever it might be, right? We sometimes need this reminder that, as Christians, then, this love compels me I'm talking about in my faith in Jesus Christ. Other people might identify themselves as what I'm about to say, but I'm not to identify them as such. In my Christian faith, I am compelled to have no opponents. I mean other people. My own sin, sure. But this love compels me to understand that I don't have opponents in this world. So do you ever have conversations with someone, might be on the phone, or you, where, you, where you think to yourself, Why are they, why is this an argument? I'm not your adversary. Christian love compels me to have no opponents, to love my neighbor, to love even the one who identifies themselves as my enemy. So we become occupied with other people. And finally, take up the ministry of reconciliation. There is at times a religious energy that says, Go out into this world because everything is horrible. And go out there and try to get a few in here. That's not exactly encouraging. <laughs> and it's no wonder that actually most Christians say, no thanks. <laughs> right? Some, some kind of dutiful religious types feel guilty about that. But most of you don't. But there can be a religious energy. This is not just Christian. This is other faiths as well can make this mistake. Go out there because everything's terrible. That's not the Christian message. Sin, please understand this, though I accept that we are all wretched sinners before the love of Jesus Christ. But here's the truth of the cross. Sin, as it turns out, was never the big story. God's love was always the big story. God's reconciling love. So I go out into this world where, yes, there's sorrow and darkness and even evil. But I go out compelled by the love of Jesus Christ, which gives me hope. Ephesians 1, all things brought together under him. 1 Corinthians 15, the same. Colossians 1, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so we gather for communion. We are not compelled or we ought not to be compelled by fear or division but by this overwhelming love of God which declares reconciliation in Christ. That's your hope. Now take that even into your strained and difficult relationships. I'm not saying they'll all be patched up because that's not your choice often. And the sin in your own heart can muddy the waters to be true, to be fair. But you take this love of God into this world and into your relationships and you'll see growth. So he has reconciled to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. And so what better way for us than to gather and receive. Receive that love. The body broken for us the body of our Lord Jesus Christ given for us, for this world. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And our taking this is a declaration of our trust in him. We say, and you've noticed by now, I hope, in, we have communion kind of once a month up here and once a month as a breakfast downstairs. But during Lent, we have communion every week. And so we introduce it quite simply, basically. And we say, if you want to know Jesus, if you know Jesus Christ, or if you want to, you can receive. It's up to you whether you receive or not. We also say, if you are holding a particular grudge or burden or problem, a broken relationship with someone that you know you need to go make right, or you know you need to go patch up, reconcile, then sometimes you let the communion pass by you, even as a Christian. And then when you go and you seek that reconciliation, when you return for communion the next time, it speaks to you in sometimes a more powerful way. So let's pray over the communion, and then we'll pass it out, and you can just take it as you receive it. So come, Holy Spirit. Not my words, of course. Not a theological description or an illustration. but the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, your presence in this place through receiving the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remind us as we receive that in you we are forgiven, in you we are reconciled, and then in you we have this ministry of reconciliation. Open our hearts and our minds And allow us to be open that our lives would be changed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.